Anyone watch the rugby last night? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that enjoyable? There's been, you know, I've got to tell you, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a blue supporter, right? So you can boo and hiss and throw the tomatoes later. But um, when I watch uh, games where the Wallabies play the All Blacks, I have a similar feeling in my gut that I have when I watch the Blues play Queensland. You know, it's like, it, you know, there's, it's 10 seconds past the final hooter for Queensland. Some guy's got both, both legs broken and a shoulder dislocated and he's got a maroon jersey on and he's still scoring a try somehow. That's kind of how it feels. And the All Blacks are a bit like that. Interesting thing coming out of last night, I don't know whether you noticed this, those who watched it, but they got to half time and the cheer at half time for the Wallabies, because they won the first half 20 to 3, the cheer at half time was actually uh, one that you would expect at full time. That's how I felt. The crowd just went off. It was a full house down at Suncorp. And you know what that says? That says uh, one thing very, very clearly, that human beings are into giving praise and giving glory. They just are. Because the people, uh, the Wallabies have accomplished some amazing feats in the first half of the rugby game. And what do we do? We get 52,000 people to cheer and to acclaim the glory and the feats that the Wallabies have uh, been able to achieve in the first half. Not to mention the second half where the Wallabies virtually didn't get the ball for the first 20 minutes and the uh, score was 20 all uh, within a very short period of time. Very interesting. So um, I'm going to show you an ad here in a minute, but I'm just going to pray first. Uh, Jesus, I just pray that uh, you would be exalted, that you would uh, be seen as precious today and that people, uh, all of us, Lord, um, I guess none of us here actually treasure you uh, fully in line with how valuable you are. And I pray that today that you would help us to do that. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that doesn't treasure you, that you would become their treasure today and that they would love you and that they would uh, centre on you. Amen. Okay, so at half time, this ad comes on. You may have seen this one. Does anyone know what this is advertising? Yeah, workwear discounts. Excellent. And I thought, I actually had two other slides I was going to show you to lead in for today, right? But I saw this and I thought, here it is. It's just like, because I've been talking about unceasing worship, that everyone worships all the time, and then idolatry of the heart, and then workwear discounts comes on. And I'm just going, that's about half my sermon. <laughs> True. All right? Because you know what you find about... Um, about ads, I don't know whether you notice this. I noticed this. Uh, I lived in Sydney for about eight years, and uh, I noticed it when I came up to Toowoomba. There's some really bad ads on, like really dodgy ones. And one of the things that I've uh, realised about ads in Toowoomba, like the dodgy ads in Toowoomba, is they sell idolatry badly. You notice that? The ones who are very, the very, very classy, slick ads. And uh, last night. Ange and I are watching the uh, rugby together and she goes, there's an interesting ad that I haven't seen for a while. Lexus ad. You don't see those on TV normally, but when there's a rugby game on, people who watch rugby tend to have a bit more money, so we'll put the Lexus ad on. Lexus, the Lexus ad was very, very slick at selling something. Workwear discounts, not so. Have a look. All right, they do talk about beer here, but it's not an ad about beer, but it kind of is, but you'll see in a minute. Here we go. Work shirts. We gave them $300 each and sent them shopping. The man on the left went to and bought five famous brand work shirts. With his change, he was able to buy two beers. The man on the right phone worked with discounts on 1300-720-366 and bought five With his change, he bought 120 beers. If you shop and work with discounts, please drink responsibly. What are they worshipping? 
Yeah, beer. Yeah, forex. All right, forex. All right. How well would this ad go if it's like if you shop at workwear discounts, you'll be able to sponsor six compassion children for the next 12 months? That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Let's give that one a run. The thing that I find absolutely hilarious, I mean, maybe they should have said, uh, shop at workwear discounts. Um, you can save all this money and buy a razor because both those blokes probably got dodgy gaddy beards. Not that I have anything against gaddy beards. All right? There are lots of things that you could buy, like you could buy a better production company to make your ad with the extra money, couldn't you? Really, because this is pretty dodgy. But the thing I find absolutely hilarious is the ad is very clear about the fact that what identifies and blesses this genre of people, let's call them a genre, is beer. Yeah? That's what it is. So let's come to us, give your money to us, and then you can go and make your tithe or your offering to your God and get blessed. You see that? And then the classic thing at the end is, what do they say? Drink responsibly, all right? Hit your God, get cases of it, but don't become a slave to it. Isn't that what they're saying? But who knows that anyone standing next to a case of beers, if they love it that much, probably is already a slave to it. You see that? Workwear discounts, idolatry, unceasing worship, right in the middle of the rugby game last night at halftime. Classic stuff. All right, I'm going to show you another clip here. This is, uh, anyone here uh, seen the movie The Prestige? A few people? Prestige is a fascinating movie. I won't go into the plot much because you don't need to know that much about it, but it's really just about two magicians who are highly competitive. And uh, you've got this guy, I think his name's a great Danton, he calls himself. And he's gone to, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of the, uh, is he a physics guy, Tesla? Tesla? Sorry? Electricity, right? So they've gone, Tesla's alive and this one of the magicians has gone to him because he wants Tesla to develop a trick for him in his magic show that is going to help him beat the other magician. Here we go. So an interesting comment that uh, Tesla makes there in the movie. He says, I am their slave. I'm the slave of my obsessions. And one day... They will choose to destroy me. Interesting, isn't it? See, this is what we've been looking at, not so much last week, but the uh, couple of weeks before that, is that you, you, you always worship something. And this is the reality for all of us. It's the reality of every single human being that's, that's ever lived on the face of the planet is we worship something all of the time. And people have obsessions, people have idolatries, and you know what's going to happen? If you hang on to those things, they're going to destroy you. And, you know, it's, it's probably likely that some of you who have been here for the previous uh, messages that I've, that I've preached on this, some of you are probably just thinking, well, I don't think I've really got one. Well, I can tell you that you've got one. If you're not worshipping Jesus 100% of the time, you've got something else. It is your God. You just need to find out what that is. And maybe some of you, you look at your sheet and you just kind of go, whoa, like, I don't have much left. If I take all those things away, I don't have a whole, a whole lot left. And you know what? That's what today's about. Today's about what do you have left? You're in trouble if you've got nothing left. Your idolatries, your obsessions, the things that keep you going that aren't Christ will end up destroying you. That's a promise. That's an absolute promise. A couple of things I just want to tidy up and then we're going to launch into a message on how to break idolatries. The interesting thing uh, that you see in Romans chapter 1, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, was uh, this scripture here, Romans 1.25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. 
And you know what can happen a lot of the time, and I'll probably talk about this a little bit more later on, is if you deal with an idolatry and you shift it out of the way and you don't put Christ in the middle, what do you end up doing? Yeah, you find another one and just shove it in the middle. And so the issue here is not so much that you're you're really bad and you keep worshipping idols. The issue here is you you can't stop worshipping. That's just what you do. So if it's not Christ, if it's not Jesus, who brings freedom out of the slavery that you've been in, and we'll talk more about that later on too, but he brings freedom for you. It will be an obsession. It'll be another obsession. So you deal with the alcoholic obsession and you end up with a shopping obsession or a food obsession. And this is exactly what they talk about in this clip here. This is from my, uh, an S- from my Insight on SBS, a-, a show that they did on addictions. I think I showed some of this uh, a few weeks ago. But uh, interestingly, they're toward the end of the show and they're trying to work out, well, how do you deal with addictions? What do you do with it? And they ask some people some advice and then uh, right at the end, there's uh, some very interesting comments made. I love it when you're getting on Christians preaching your sermon or part of it for you. I love that, all right? That's really obvious. That's exactly what Romans 1.25 says, that people just switch the creator for the creation. And if they don't want to go back to worshipping the creator, they just find another created thing to worship. I mean, Jesus told a story um, about someone, about a house that was infested with demons and the person cleaned the house up, they fixed it all up, kicked all the demons out and didn't fill it up. Does anyone know what happened? They came back. And it actually, Jesus actually says the state of that house was worse in the end than what it was when it just had the, I think the seven demons or however many there were. Now, you might think I'm getting a bit fundamentalist, right? But I'm going to show you some scriptures here that are very, very clear that idols are demons. I had this inter- in- interesting uh, interaction in my house one day with one of my boys who's been really, really disobedient. And I don't do this. In fact, this is the only time I've ever done it. I think it's very much a one-wood kind of a thing to to do in terms of strategy and tactics but I uh one of my sons was very very disobedient and I said to him I said you know what I said you know who you're being like right now and he goes who I said you've been just like the devil I said it says that in first John he goes where you show me all right so I cracked the bible out I showed it and it says those who are being disobedient and who go on sinning are just like the devil here it is. I said, okay, so you've got a decision about who you want to be like. Do you want to be like Jesus or do you want to be like the devil? He's going, well, I don't want to be like Jesus. All right? That's a no-brainer. So it comes as a bit of a jarring kind of fact that the reality is that the Bible is very clear about the fact that the idols that we worship are demons. Now, that shouldn't make you very comfortable. I'm not going to have a show of hands because usually if I did this at school, I said, who's comfortable worshipping a demon? You know, you'd have like three hands. They're usually year nine boys who think they're really funny. <laughs> All right. Psalm 106. Check this out. It's talking about Israel. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They become a snare to us. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Now if you actually, uh, if you want to have a look, it's probably not the most encouraging part of the Bible to read, but you can read about Ahaz in 2 Kings 16, 1-4. We're not going there now. But he gave one of his kids, sacrificed it to the demon idols. That's what he did. 
And you might be thinking, yeah, well, that's just Old Testament. That's, you know, they've got some funky statues there and some crazy uh, idols and all that sort of stuff. Check out this. This is out of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 19. What do I imply then, that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrificed, they offered to? To? To demons. And not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. Paul would have a heart for you today. And in fact, that's another whole chapter you can read about idolatry, which is 1 Corinthians 10. All right? Paul would have a heart for you today and say, don't be a participant with demons. Don't be a participant with idolatry. I'm going to show you this clip. Uh, someone here is going to know where this is from. I haven't been... We, we think it's from the Roman series or something, which apparently is pretty weird and wacky on uh, HBO or something. Maybe uh, Paul knows where this is from. We don't know, but... Sorry? Yeah. So I just thought I'd show you this. This is uh, just to get a bit of a visual about breaking idolatry in your head. So you put yourself in uh, that guy's position just at the end there. Be interesting question for you to answer right now. How aggressive and violent am I prepared to be with dealing with the idols that lie in my life? How angry are you prepared to be? There's a command in the Bible in the New Testament. It says, be angry and don't sin. One area that you can be absolutely psycho angry about is your own idolatries and pursuit of Christ. Not in a flying off the handle kind of way, but in a really good, righteous rage. And in reality, this is where Christians have got it wrong a whole lot of the time, is they think rage is about everyone else. Rage is mostly, righteous rage is mostly about you. It's about dealing with the stuff inside of you that Jesus is not happy with, that, that you're in bondage to. I wonder this morning how cranky you are with the stuff that gets between you and Christ. It's probably true that no one's cranky enough. If you see the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of Christ, you'll be more cranky about the stuff that gets in between you and he. All right. Let's get into it. The rest of the message is how can you break your idols? Here we go. First one here is to uncover the enslaving idol. All right, here we go. The first thing that you can do if you want, if you were here uh, two weeks ago, uh, we went through 17 questions to help you to uncover what idolatries you may have in your life. If, uh, if you weren't here, you can get it off uh, sermon.net. Go through the questions. They can help you to identify what the idolatries are in your life. And the interesting note that we made back uh, a couple of weeks ago is uh, some of you may think, yeah, I've got the freedom... Um, to, do, to choose whatever I want. But the reality that we know, uh, and we know this biblically, is that you're an unceasing worshipper, so you don't actually get to choose ultimate freedom. You only get to choose who your master's going to be. And the word is very, very clear about the fact... Was that the fly trying to get a bit of action on this microphone? Got a festy fly happening right here. You only get to choose your master. And one of the things I've been talking to you about over the last uh, couple of weeks when I'm preached is choose a good master. You need to choose a good master. Not one like uh, Tesla said that he's going to destroy you in the end, but one that will bring liberty and freedom to you. 
Jesus made it very clear in Matthew that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Do you get to go without a yoke? No, you don't. But you can have a good one or you can have one that's going to be a weight on you and that ultimately is going to kill you. First thing, uncover the enslaving idol. Hopefully if you were there, we've done that. Two, uncover the demonic lie. Man, I just love this. Uh, John 8, 44. I'm going, to give, I'm going to read you the introduction to it. If you've got Bibles, you can read it with me. It's out of John chapter 8. I'm going to start at verse 39. Jesus is uh, the kind of guy that the Pharisees and the religious people really want to have over for dinner all the time because he was so gentle and nice to them. Not. This is one of those classic passages where Jesus kind of gives them the truth and it's kind of shaped in the form of a baseball bat. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, then you'd be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Abraham wasn't the guy that was killing people who were telling the truth. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. All right, so they're saying, Jesus, you kind of got conceived out of wedlock. You're kind of, I mean... In the typical dictionary term, he's kind of a bastard. All right? That's really what they're saying to Jesus. Uh, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you'd love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then he says this, You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Idols lie to you. If idols have demons sitting in behind them, they lie to you. So the uh, person who's a slave to alcohol believes the best thing that could actually happen for them is to get more alcohol. The person who's feeling down and depressed the chocolate maybe in the fridge is going, come and have some. You'll feel much better. All right? The credit cards hurting the buttock. All right? And you're just going, yeah, yeah, I think I'm feeling depressed. I need to go and shop. I need to go and buy something. They're just lies after lies after lies. You need to expect that the things that you idolize that aren't Christ lie to you and offer you things that they can't deliver. Every time. Every single time. And here's a good uh, phrase for you. This actually comes from uh, Ravi Zacharias. He says that legitimate pleasures get paid for before you get the pleasure and illegitimate pleasures get paid for afterwards. Interesting test, isn't it? And I remember when I was a young guy, just, you know, I'd, I'd want to buy things, but I didn't have all of the money, so mum and dad would buy it. Now, they would put it in the cupboard and they'd say, you can't have this. You need to save up. You need to save, you know, the stuff, the money that you get each week from us, your pocket money, and save up. And once you've paid us all of the money, you can have it. That's a good thing. This is the truth about what God offers you. So if you don't, if you have a sexual idolatry and you decide that you want to have sex prior to marriage, you will pay for that. You will. Every single time. But the idol says you won't pay for it. It's fine. You can just come and you can just have fun and you're actually not going to get in strife and there's not going to be any consequences from it. Yeah, you can look at some stuff on the internet that you shouldn't look at, but no one's going to see and it's not going to have any effect. You'll be right. 
Oh, yeah, like the gossip thing, you know, like someone really irritates us, so you just want to take them down. I can do this really sneakily so that no one knows and then I'll win. That is an idol that lies to you. The con- there will always be consequences. But idols always lie to you and tell you that there won't be. But there always are. Because God's the one that speaks the truth. And this is why you need to be reading the Word all the time. I'm getting excited today, right? Because this is really important. You need to read the Word. Why do you need to read the Word? Because God speaks the truth. And if you don't read it and you're not into it every day, it's likely that an idol's going to come along, trick you, you're going to end up doing something dumb and then there's going to be a whole bunch of consequences that come out of it and people are going to get hurt by it, least of all you. You with me? That's why you need to read it. That's why you need to read what's in there because... Ah, man, the sword of the Spirit is the Bible and that's the weapon that you've got to actually kill the lie that's coming your way, that's trying to deceive you. You see, when, you're actually, when you actually get tempted, what is actually happening when you're getting tempted is you're actually making a decision about who you're going to trust. That's what you're doing. If you're sitting there and you're tempted... To get really, really angry with someone who's hurt you. And you want to pay them back. If you choose to get really, really angry with them and pay them back, you know what you've just decided? You've just decided that God's not a good judge. That he won't be fair in the end. And he won't defend you. And you've believed the devil that the best thing that you could do at that point in time is just to go hell for leather at that person and give it to them. You see that? And you can apply that to every single temptation that comes along. I deal in high school a lot with uh, boys, but it's not just boys. This goes right through to uh, 75-year-old men tempted with pornography. Who will you trust? Christ says, and one of the scriptures I get the boys to memorise is, uh, in your presence is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Which is, I think, Psalm 16, 11, I think, somewhere around that. So when a boy in high school decides that he's going to look at porn and he says he loves Jesus and he forsakes Christ. You know what he's just said? He said, God, you're a liar. You are a liar and I don't believe you. And he chooses to do his own thing. And you know, when we sin, when I sin, when I follow the lies of the demons, of the idols that I worship, that's what we do. We say to God, you're a liar. I don't believe that you're actually going to come through on what you promise. That is a highly offensive thing to do to God. Isn't it? The God in whom there is no darkness at all, 1 John 1 says. There's no darkness. He's just all light. And we say to him, you're a liar. Let's look at the positive side. Abraham, Romans 4. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You know what? Every single time that you have a temptation and you say yes to Christ and you say yes to the truth, what does that say about how valuable Christ is to you? Huge amounts, doesn't it? You trust him. You trust his character. You trust who he is. He loves that. He loves that. It's good for you. You don't get tricked by the lie anymore. Check out this quote from Martin Luther. 
from his uh, selections book. Faith honours him whom it trusts with the most reverent and highest regard since it considers him truthful and trustworthy. So when you have faith and you take God's word at face value and you just trust the promises of God, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. There is no other honour equal to the estimate of truthfulness and righteousness with which we honour him whom we trust. On the other hand, there's no way in which we can show greater contempt for a man than to regard him as false and wicked and to be suspicious of him as when we do not trust him. Pretty good call, I think, by Luther. Pretty good call. All right. Let's have a look at some specific lies that idols would tell to you. Number one. If you worship me, it'll be better. If you worship me, it'll be happier. This is how the sentence starts when an idol is tempting you. If you worship me, if you worship me, if you worship me, then you finish the sentence. You've heard this before. They promise good. You know, one of these, uh, if you actually go in the Old Testament to a, uh, a king in the Old Testament, he was a good king called King Asa. Got to be careful how you say that, but King Asa. King Asa got busted by God. He did a whole bunch of really good things. He ended up getting busted by God because he went to the doctor. That sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? Just going, God, what are you doing? Busting him for going to the doctor. Aren't doctors good? Well, you know what? Doctors are good. And God often uses doctors to do things in people and with their physical bodies. But you know what Asa got wrong? He didn't go to God first and ask God for help first. When this is a simple one, if I just take a Panadol, my headache will go away. Well, that's true. But maybe you should ask Jesus to take your headache away first. That would demonstrate a trust and a worship in him that maybe just going and taking the Panadol doesn't. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm not wanting to kind of split hairs here. But Asa, his real issue wasn't that he went to the doctor, it was that he went to the doctor first. And his greatest trust was in the doctor and not in Christ, not in God. If you worship me. Well, now this one, I need to be true to myself. That's just who I am. Anyone heard this one before? That's just who I am. You know what's interesting? Who a lot of people are needs to be repented of, doesn't it? Truly, it does. It's just like, and this whole thing, I mean, I don't know whether you noticed it. Who's familiar with, just give me a show of hands, who's familiar with the whole... Um, Personality testing, we have cholerics, phlegmatics, melancholies and sanguines. Who's familiar with that? A few people, cool. You know what you should do? Uh, one thing you could do actually when you go home if you want is have a look at the strengths and weaknesses and what you'll notice is that with that personality uh, test, the strengths are all good things and the weaknesses are all sin. That's what they are. They're, just, they're all sin. Like if you read it, it's well, sin. So no one should have those weaknesses. It doesn't matter who you are, you shouldn't have them. And then if you go to the uh, Myers-Briggs um, test too, you actually get to Myers-Briggs and you realise they don't even have any negative stuff. They have no weaknesses or anything. Has anyone noticed that? That's kind of your Myers-Briggs thing and you end up with all the IPJ personality type and, you know, I was watching Mark Driscoll on this and uh, he said some people have got the personality type J-E-R-K, all right? And it's probably, it's probably true. The reality is... When you come to Christ, I was just talking with someone about this a couple of days ago. When you come to Christ, there's a whole bunch of superficial things in your life that are easy to change. When it gets really, really tough, 
is when you get down to a personality level. Because you've got ground in dysfunctional stuff and everyone's got some dysfunctional stuff in their personality and that stuff's really, really difficult to change. And the world will tell you, and eh, when it gets hard, that's just who you are, man. All right? The interesting thing is no one's ever peddling this one about, I mean, this is what Gaga's doing. She's just be true to yourself, be who you are. Um, haven't noticed her saying that to pedophiles yet, which is, I'd be interested to see that, all right? Because the information that people are throwing around, like counsellors and psychologists, is that a hardcore pedophile, you can't cure them. So people want to go out and say this thing, they go, oh, just be true to yourself, that's who you are. Yeah, you're going to say it to them? The truth is, there's issues with all of our personalities, mine included, which my wife kindly points out every now and then, all right? And it is kind, but it's cruel to be kind, you know, that kind of thing. There's parts of our personality we need to repent of. Don't believe that lie. Three, you can't stop. I wonder if you've ever had that one. You've just got this scene going on, I just can't stop. I'm never going to be able to stop. You hear that going on, that is a direct lie from your idol. You can't stop. Four, this is a classic this won't go away until you give in. This is such a classic lie that goes on. And you know how I know that? Because I've been in that exact situation myself and even right in that exact situation, I can think of probably hundreds of other examples in my life where I haven't experienced a temptation as strong as what I was having it right there and then. But you still think the only way it's going to go away is if you just give in to it. It's a lie. It's a dead set lie. Five. You can't quit your job. That's who you are. And this is where the idolatry thing comes in and it actually brings for you your identity. So it may not just be your job. It may be something that you own or something that you do. You can't stop doing that. I can't sell my house. I can't have no money. That's who I am. I'm the person that's got a bit of money. I'm the person that's got a job. I'm the person who's doing this particular, playing this particular role and that's actually who I am. Reality is... That's probably your idol. And it's lying to you. And it's saying you can't have an identity, you can't be blessed, you can't have an identity, you can't be someone in your own right through Christ. You have to have the idol. Don't believe it. Six. What about this one? You deserve it. If you go on a diet or Weight Watchers, let's, let's even go with Weight Watchers as far as I can tell, right? And there might be some people who have been on Weight Watchers, so I'll try to be careful. If you go on Weight Watchers and you've been really, really good with watching your calories, what do you get to do at the end? Well, at the end of the day or the end of the week? You get to have a... Yeah, you get to splurge and have a little treat. Doesn't that work well? It's like reward yourself with your idol that you're trying to kill most of the week, but on the, at the end of the week, you'll get to have a bit. Do you see how ridiculous that is? It happens all the time, but... You know, when you're, when you're down and, you know, sometimes you can have days where people just think somehow you're just covered in red kind of canvas and there's a kind of nylon strapping and you're hanging from a pole somewhere and you're the punching bag, right? And everyone just kind of beats you up all day long and they criticise you and all this sort of stuff. And sometimes you can get to the point where you just go, oh, I've had a terrible day. I deserve a reward. And the idol says, come here. I'll look after you. It won't look after you. It won't. It doesn't. I'll reward you. Come on, you deserve it. Don't believe it. It's a filthy thing. Three, 
First one, identify your idols. Two, uncover the demonic lie. How is it lying? Do you find out exactly what that is? Three, bring the truth of the gospel. Anyone know what the word gospel means? Good news. Yeah, good news. So what's the good news? The good news that Jesus brings to you is in spite of the fact that you think and I think that we've got a freedom. We can go after our idols and do whatever we want. He's saying, no, you're actually in slavery. It's not freedom. He comes and he says good things, true things to help turn your heart. He says, it's not freedom, it's slavery. And I come to set captives free. I come to uh, set the slaves free. Check this out in, in Revelation 1 verse 5. To him... To Jesus who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. What's the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus came and he died on the cross and bled and took all of the sins that have come from all of our worship of idols to set you free. You just got to believe him and trust in him and repent. Is this good news? Is there an amen out there? Man, this is good. This is good. Let me uh, give you, I'll just give you really quickly a six-point explanation of the gospel that John Piper threw out, which I thought was great. You know, he said the gospel firstly is a plan. Jesus' plan, as we learned in the second week of the project here, if you were here then, Jesus planned and the Father planned from all eternity to come and to set you free. He just did. From the minute, before the minute that human beings sinned, God had a plan to come and rescue human beings from their sin and from their bondage. It was an event. Pretty much no one, even the most strident atheists against the faith, no one out there says that uh, Jesus didn't die on the cross. They're all saying he did die. It was an actual event. It actually happened in history. The third thing. Jesus actually accomplished something when he died. All of our sin was punished in Christ and we got off. We got righteousness from him. We got made perfect. Number four, it was freely offered. This is a free offer. The good news about the gospel, the good news about the truth of the gospel if you're, is if you're a slave, there is a free offer to you. It doesn't cost you anything. Nothing. Costs you nothing. You just have to trust him. You just have to trust the one that tells the truth instead of the liar. That's all you've got to do. And a couple of other things. Repent, that kind of stuff. We'll get to that. Five, it needs to be applied to you. So the truth of the gospel that Jesus has come to save you and to rescue you from slavery needs to be applied to you. And it doesn't matter whether you're not a Christian today or you've been a Christian for a long time and you've got some nice little built-in idolatries going on in your life, Christ wants to bring you more freedom than what you currently have. He wants you to know that you're a slave and he loves you. He wants the best for you, which is to give you himself. The last one is, the whole point of the gospel is that you might get to God because as we learnt in the first week of the project here, Human beings beholding the glory and the majesty of God and being one with God is the best possible place that they could be in. And there's part of our hearts that just kind of go, oh man, like, that's a bit, it might be a bit boring. So you're just being lied to. God says it's the best place for you to be in. 
student at school the other day said to me that, uh, I'm not sure whether it was me or whether it just got passed on to me, that uh, they thought it might end up being pretty boring in heaven because <laughs> you're just with God. Just go, man, like you just haven't read the Bible enough. Really? That's going to rock. That's going to be really good. Don't believe the lie that it's boring because uh, you're going to be with God. Man, that's the best place to be. All right, number four. What you need to do once you've identified it, you've uncovered the lie, you've brought the truth of the gospel, is you're going to have to repent and break your idol. All right, this is where you get kind of a bit violent with yourself. All right, not with other people, but a bit violent with yourself. Let me ask you this question. For those who are married and those who aren't can imagine being married, uh, how comfortable would you be if you got married and your spouse's old boyfriend or girlfriend just kept coming out for dinner one night a week after you got married? Would you like that? No, you wouldn't like it, all right? You'd be running them out of town. Say, I love you in the Lord, but get out! All right? Wouldn't you? And this is really where, if you're a Christian here today, this is a thing. Don't have the old girlfriends or boyfriends hanging around in your relationship with Christ. Don't let them hang around. Run them out of town, be nice. Well, maybe don't be nice to the idols, but if you, in reality, have got old boyfriends or girlfriends, kind of be nice because you want them to love Christ, but get them out, all right? It's not going to be good for your relationship having things getting mixed up. Here we go. You need to repent. You need to confess to Jesus your false gods and break them. Okay, someone actually suggested that maybe what we need to have at the front of the church here uh, is just everyone just bring their, brings their stuff in and we just have a big bonfire, okay? Which kind of happened with the people who were involved in, in magic and that kind of stuff in the book of Acts. They brought all their stuff and they burn it. Maybe, maybe that's what some of you need to do. Maybe you do need to literally burn some stuff. Maybe you need to delete some things off the computer, um, stuff that catches you up. Maybe you need to burn some movies that you got in your collection. You're just going, yeah, I've been harboring that for a little while. That's an old girlfriend. Maybe. Check this out. You look in the Old Testament. This is how uh, God says to deal with idols. Exodus 23:24. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars into pieces. This is like kind of phase one of the block, you know? Like you get to go in there with a sledgehammer and just let's deal with this stuff. Let's smash it to pieces. Check this one out. This is Exodus 34, 13. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their Asherim, which is one of their gods, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. God's name is Jealous. If you had an old boyfriend or girlfriend come and have dinner all the time, someone's going to be jealous, agreed? And if they weren't, that'd be a problem, wouldn't it? God's jealous. God's jealousy is a good thing because he loves you. He loves me. He sees you having a funky little worship sesh to an idol and he's going, I'm, 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 I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to get involved and by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring some conviction upon my kid there because what the heck are you doing? It's that kind of vibe. I thought we were together. You know, that kind of thing. You see that in the movies and on TV. What are you doing, man? What are you doing? What, what, did you, what did you kiss him for? I thought it was you or me. That's the kind of the heart that God has, you know. Let's have a look at another one. Deuteronomy 7.5. But thus shall you deal with them, 
You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. Good question. What's left? Ash. Pretty much good for nothing. All right? Unless you had a drug overdose and they had special stuff for that. All right? Charcoal they put down your throat. I hope to soak it up. All right? I hope you don't need to have to have that. There's nothing left. So the question here at this point in time is what is repentance? This year has been an amazing journey for me uh, about what repentance is. I always thought repentance was just this really depressive kind of thing. You've got to get down and you've got to cry a whole lot and you know, feel like you don't want to live anymore too much because it's really, really heavy and I've done really terrible stuff. It is nothing of the sort. Some part of it, there's going to be sadness. But you know, repentance ultimately is actually liberation. Repentance, if anyone this morning decides that they want to repent from their idolatry, it will be liberation for you. It will be a happy day. Because you don't have to keep up appearances anymore. You don't have to keep persuading people that what you're doing is the right thing to do. You can just be true to who you are and where your heart is at and you can let God come in and change you. It's freedom. It's liberation. What's repentance? Repentance is not denying your sin. Repentance is not getting sorry that you got caught. Repentance is not excusing your sin, telling everyone there was a good reason why I did what I did. Repentance is not actually blaming someone else for what you did wrong. What is repentance? Here we go. First thing is it's conviction. Conviction is just feeling bad. You get reading some literature about uh, counselling and psychology, which I've been doing a little bit, and everyone's saying guilt is a bad thing. You know what? You feel guilty because you are... Hey, excellent. All right? We need to redeem guilt, don't we? Guilt is a good, good thing. You feel bad because you are bad. Okay, Mark Driscoll is a hairy man. He says, I feel fairy because I am. That's how it works. That's why people feel bad. So you feel bad and probably there's going to be a gut kind of component to it where you're just kind of going, oh, that was a dumb thing to do. Second thing you do is you confess your sin to God. You know what confession is? Confession is you and God coming together and you agreeing with God that what you did was wrong. You know what's freaky about this? And I speak for my own heart first, but I will speak on behalf of yours as well. You know, it's entirely likely that a lot of us here have got things that we've done in the past that we actually haven't agreed with God on. Yeah, we've said sorry and we've asked him to forgive us, but if you come down deep down to that level where you're just going, do I agree with God that that was a really dodgy, bad thing to do or do I still like it? Some of us are still going, i just got that thing, it's just in the bottom cupboard, you know, I just opened the door and I just, it's in the corner of the kitchen, in the bottom of the kitchen cupboard in my life. It's not a big deal. I asked him to forgive me, but underneath, I still kind of liked the fact that I did it. See, that's, yeah, you haven't really confessed that yet if you haven't come to an agreement with God about that. Three, what you need to do in repentance is put the sin to death. You need to kill it. Okay? I uh, went and heard this speak when I was a really young guy. And uh, seriously, I can't remember anything else he said. 
But the one thing I can remember, which really stuck out with me, is this. I'll, I'll give you his routine. He goes, right, he goes, so, you've, uh, so you're, you're lying and you're under pressure and just stop it. He goes, right, yeah, and, and over here, you know, you're in a situation and there's gossip and, and it's going on and you feel inside of you that you shouldn't actually be gossiping and talking. Stop it! And there's a sense with putting sin to death in repentance where you just cut it. And this, I think, is where the place of fasting, and I don't have time, maybe at some point in time in the project we'll have a full talk on New Testament fasting, but this is where fasting comes in. What do you do? I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to turn the TV off. I'll watch too much of it. I'm not going to watch it. I'm going to go for a whole month. There's a guy, uh, a mate of mine, who realised probably an, an idolatry in his life was just watching heaps and heaps of TV. You know what he said to me? He wrote it out on a, on a card and he said, I want you to hold me accountable. I'm going to not watch any TV for a month. That's a TV fast. That's a breaking of his idol. You know what he said to me? He goes, man, I've got so much time, right? I've got so much time. He goes, it is so good. He said, I'm going past a month. What's that? That's someone who thought they were free, who were actually a slave, now realises that not bowing down to their idol makes them freer than they ever thought they would ever be. They thought it would be bad to not watch TV for a month. Now they're saying, man, I feel more free than I ever have been. Put it to death. This one. Oh, see, this is one that doesn't get talked about much, enough, I should say. Restitution. Anyone know what Zacchaeus did when he got saved? Anyone know? Yeah. Four times, actually. Yeah, no, that's good. He didn't just go and give the money back four times. Four times as much. What has the worship of your idol caused you to steal from other people that they deserve? See, if your idols work, it's entirely likely that you've stolen memories from your kids. You're stolen days with your family. Some mums worship the internet. And you know what? They've stolen prayer, Bible reading and snuggles with their kids. Is it just on the net? On the net, a whole bunch. Some people's idol, as I said, is TV. And they've stolen thousands of hours from their spouse. Some people worship possessions and they've actually stolen stacks and stacks of money out of the inheritance from their kids. Good thing, Proverbs says, to leave an inheritance for your children. What have you stolen? What do you need to actually, in a sense, pay back? Now, you're not buying forgiveness by doing it. I think uh, we had a teacher at the school here quite a few years ago, and the way he put it was like this. He said, when you offend someone or you sin against someone, you defraud them. You steal something from them. So if you truly repent, what do you do? Well, your job then is to go back to that person and make them... And it's not correct grammar, but make them not the victim anymore. That's what your job is. You're not going to buy it. You deal with all of that stuff, forgiveness and repentance and, and sorrow and that kind of stuff. But part of your repentance is to go back to them and to make them not the victim. So what do you need to do to make them not the victim? So if you stole something from a shop, you don't just take it back. You take it back and then some. If you stole some hours from someone, because of your idolatry. You don't just go back and say, I'll pay you back for that. You pay them back and then some, because you want them to be the winner and not the victim anymore. 
I think that's a good guide for uh, restitution. Number five, reconciliation. You can get forgiveness and you can confess things to God, but part of repentance is to actually go to someone so you've got two people face to face, apologise to them, ask for their forgiveness and get things sorted out relationally. And maybe some of you need to do that. Forgiveness takes one person, but reconciliation takes two. A couple of quick notes about religious repentance. Two things. When religious people repent, one thing that they do is they criticise the person who's confronting them for the way that they're doing it. I don't like the way you're doing it. But the truth is they've got this massive issue in their lives but they're not prepared to face that because you haven't done it the right way. You know, the other thing that I've noticed through uh, most of my life because I've been in quite a few Christian groups is religious people, and I'm saying it in a negative way, religious people speak in the third person all the time. You notice that? They sit there and they talk about what everyone else is doing. Well, they talk about what we should be doing. Not them and what they're doing and what they need to deal with. Third person. Number five. We're just about here at the end. Replace and worship. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. This story about Jesus that, that Jesus tells here is he says there's a man that finds a treasure of surpassing value, which is Christ. You find a treasure of surpassing value, what do you do? You sell all your idols. Don't you? I'm going to sell everything to get that. And typically in the church, what that looks like is people with a really sad face because they still love their idols and they don't want to sell them, but they're only doing it because someone at the front told them they had to. Is that this guy? It's not this guy. This guy's he's pumped. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to get home to sell all my gear. Because this is going to go off. This is going to be sensational. I've just got to get it. I've got to get this treasure. And Jesus says, you be like that. Be like that with Jesus. Go home today if you've got some idols and be like this guy and just go, oh, I am pumped because I actually know I'm getting something so much better than this. Let's sell it all. I don't sell your children, but... If you idolise them, right? But just sell it all. This is how you deal with idolatry ultimately. This is the last phase in it, right? Is you've got to replace the worship. The reality is that when you worship an idol, you actually worship your way into it. So the way that you worship your way out of it, it's the way you get out of it is to worship. That's how you do it. So how did you worship it? Well, I gave my time to it. I gave my money. I gave my effort. I loved it. I served it. Okay, so give your time, your money, your effort, love and serve Christ. Give it to him. That's how you get out. Learn from your idol how to smash it and burn it. And that's just by doing exactly the same things but toward Christ. A couple of more scriptures. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just putting these scriptures up here because I just part of actually getting out of your idolatry is seeing how great Christ is again, and these scriptures speak about that. Ephesians three. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
excuse me, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Check out verse 19 there. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses what? You know what happens in uh, churches and what, well, I think it happens in churches. I know it happens in me when I'm in church. A preacher stands up the front like I have today and they say something like, Jesus really loves you. And you know, often the way I respond on the inside, I go, yeah, I know. Do I know? I don't know. I've got no idea. I think I know. Because the love of Christ has become this intellectual thing for me. I sit there and I just think about it and I go, yeah, I know that Jesus loves me. And Paul would go, no, you don't. I just said, you don't know. All right? You know a little bit. You've got no idea. And he's kind of saying in this passage, he's going, if you really want to know, you're going to need strength. So you should pray that God strengthens you so that you can understand the bit that you don't know. And even when you don't know, sorry, even when you know what you don't know, you still don't know what you could know. Does it make sense? It's true. Someone's going, no, it doesn't. It is amazing. You ought to worship. You should worship this God. You should worship Christ. He loves you in a way that he has told you through Ephesians 3, you will never, ever understand. Ever. 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 Maybe, maybe it could be some repentance of the I knows. Anyway, quick story to finish on and then I'll show you a clip and we're done. I read this article by this guy called uh, Jeffrey Boyd. He's actually the head of uh, Wellsbury Psychiatric Hospital, which is actually a training hospital for uh, Yale Medical School in the States. He calls himself an anti-psychiatry psychiatrist. And he tells this story here about uh, a lady he calls Leslie who uh, had borderline personality disorder. And just let me give you a bit of a heads up. Uh, This guy, uh, Jeffrey Boyd, is a very, very high-ranking uh, psychiatrist. He actually made contributions to the Diagnostics and Statistical Manual, which is the one that all psycho- psychologists and psychiatrists use to diagnose mental conditions. He wrote some stuff that was included in that. Um, and a, a couple of notes about borderline personality disorder. 80% of mental health professionals won't treat someone who has BPD because you can't cure them, and they all know that you can't cure them. All right? won't even treat. 20% will, but they know that you won't be able to get anywhere with it. They don't diagnose anyone under the age of 18 with BPD because once you're diagnosed with that, it's kind of almost the end of the line for you in terms of mental health. Uh, These people are uh, big kind of self-harmers. They're frequently suicidal, extreme mood swings, um, messy, messy stuff. And uh, how about we read this story? Leslie Dickerson had a devastating childhood. She felt unloved and unlovable as far back as she could remember. Emptiness, inner deadness, lack of self-worth and painful rejection. These were the feelings she experienced in her soul at the deepest level. She suffered rejection by her parents as well and their rejection was the picture of them that she carried within her soul. As she grew up, she began to attempt suicide and to abuse alcohol and drugs. She was torn by rage, depression and anxiety. Eventually, Leslie fell into the mental health treatment system and she failed to improve with every known treatment. Let that sink in. Every known treatment didn't work. 
long-term intensive psychotherapy, family therapy, every known medication and electric shock therapy. She suffered from the most untreatable of psychiatric conditions, borderline personality disorder. For a decade, she was in and out of psychiatric hospitals. One time she spent three years continuously in a state mental hospital misdiagnosed as schizophrenic. Her therapists all gave up on her as untreatable. True story. One day she gave birth to a daughter and suddenly knew that she had a choice of either changing her life or losing the baby. If she didn't reorder her life, the state social workers would intervene. The dilemma motivated her to search more desperately than ever for a solution to her problems. Finally, she turned to Jesus Christ for the first time in her life and prayed for forgiveness. For the first time ever, she felt accepted. She felt lovable and peace such as she had never ever before experienced flooded her heart. From that day forward, check this, Leslie never again attempted suicide. As she took root in this new soil, a profound psychological reorganisation occurred. It was based on the experience of feeling forgiven and accepted at her core. As bad as she thought she was, it had all been overcome at Calvary. Her badness, she said, had been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. Leslie has now been happy and free of psychiatrists for 10 years. They tried everything on her. She works as a transcriptionist and is devoted to her two children and to her church. Her favourite name for God is the Great Psychiatrist. She has positive memories of the psychiatrist that used to try to help her, but she claims they did not have the medicine she needed. Before her conversion, she had been haunted by an occasional auditory hallucination and a paranoid dread of closed doors. Since her conversion, she has been free of these psychotic symptoms without any medication. Leslie speaks of inviting Jesus into her heart. For more than an hour every morning before her children wake up, she sits alone in a room and talks with Jesus, whom she calls her best friend. The conversation, she says, goes both ways. She prays about something, and a specific Bible verse then occurs to her. Reading this verse, she interrupts it to be, interprets it, sorry, to be Jesus' reply to her prayer. And finally... This is what Jeffrey Boyd says, In all my years as a psychiatrist, I have met only one person who ever truly recovered from borderline personality disorder. Her name is Leslie Dickerson. Isn't that cool? She gets, her whole life gets reorganised because she gets her life oriented on Christ. just going to show you a clip. This is where we'll finish. This is a clip uh, using a Lifehouse song. Um, and you'll notice in here that this, uh, there's a particular girl here and she gets seduced in this skit by uh, idolatries and by false gods. And uh, obviously you'll, uh, you'll see God's uh, response to that also. Here we go. It could be possible that um, a whole bunch of you have been brutalised by idolatries. Like the people... Like the girl in the uh, skit there was. Or maybe you just realise you haven't got a whole lot left. If you take away your idolatries, there's not much left. So I'm just going to pray and uh, ask that you would treasure Christ, that everyone here would treasure Christ. Jesus. 
Jesus, you went through some incredibly thirsty things for us. For a bunch of slaves. A bunch of sceptical slaves who uh, don't listen to your truth all the time. But by the line. And it's your heart to uh, pull your people, your bride, your children, out of the bondage that they're in. And God, I pray today by your Holy Spirit that you would bring about freedom from bondage today. Freedom from slavery. God, for Christians who are stuck in things, I ask that you bring some liberation for them today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move upon their hearts and do some things in their hearts that would help them to see what they need to do to break their idolatries. And I pray, Lord, that as you show them this stuff, that you lead them toward a beautiful, beautiful dance with you, in intimacy with you. God, help us to be uh, far more aggressive God, I pray for if there be anyone here who doesn't know you, I pray that today. That they'd come to know you today. Even if it looks like their idols have been kind to them, Lord, at the moment, that you'd remove them and show them the beauty and the magnificence of yourself. just really need you God because we're really stupid Jesus you didn't call us sheep for nothing sheep are dumb and make dumb decisions they get them in places where they would die on their own if someone didn't come to get them a good shepherd so I pray to you Jesus the good shepherd that you come and shepherd your sheep today and you'd look after them and you'd tend to them and take them to a good place a safe place Amen. Before you sit down, before you go anywhere, I'll just throw a couple of things in. This is about going to be like half an altar call today. All right? It's only half because uh, most of you have only known us for about the last six weeks. So I'm I'm very much open for people to uh, speak with each other. But what's really critical about idolatry is community and someone praying for you and someone helping you and knowing about it and keeping you accountable. So I think if God actually has done something for you today in your heart that you haven't talked to anyone about, you need to talk to someone about it and ask them to pray for you. So if there's someone that you know who's a Christian, um, a fellow Christian or a Christian or whatever, that you're comfortable to go and talk to, go and talk to them. Let's spend the time, the next five minutes or so, with me not talking anymore, but you guys just praying for each other. Confessing stuff to each other. James 5, Kim kind of threw that in, I think it was last week. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you be healed. And tell each other where your issues are, where you need to be held accountable. Um, we would love to, as uh, the leadership of whatever's happening out here, whatever God's doing, we'd love to be able to pray for you. Uh, if you want to come and confess some stuff to uh, Diff, Nathan, or myself, you can do that. We don't pretend to be gurus, but we kind of know the guru, as I'm sure most of you do. Uh, and we'll pray for you. Um, and pray that God would heal you and he'd show you steps that you need to take to actually deal with it so that you have an intimacy with Christ that you never dreamed of. All good?
So we're not going to have any funky music or anything and you raise the volume of it and all that sort of stuff. You just deal with it. Uh, morning tea is going to be on. Uh, the kids will be back in a little bit. Um, but please, you've got about five minutes before they hit for you to get serious about this and to talk to some other people about it and pray together. All good?